Our sermon text this morning will come from Psalm 96. Psalm 96 is the first of three psalms called enthronement psalms. Psalm 96 through Psalm 99. They celebrate the fact that Israel's God is the only sovereign. So let us hear the word of the Lord this morning. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. So these are enthronement psalms. Psalm 96 is the first of three psalms. And Israel used to sing that her God had the exclusive right to rule the nations the right to reign, the right to demand our obedience and to summon us to worship. Israel used to sing about that. That's why we have this psalm in our Bible. In fact, interestingly, it seems like King David himself sang some version of this psalm in First, uh, First Chronicles 16, verses 23 through 33. If you, if you look there, it says that, David brings the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And as he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, he tells Israel, sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. So some version of this psalm is circulating even in King David's time. These enthronement psalms are designed to highlight the sovereign reign of God. That's their purpose. And they're shocking in one sense. Because they indict the entire world for its idolatry. You have to think about what this type of song means if you're not a member of the nation of Israel. Every time Israel would say something like, God is king, the nations would hear, our gods are counterfeit. In fact, that's, that's exactly what Israel meant. Every time they sang one of these psalms, they were saying, Every nation except one is idolatrous and its worship is an offense to God, to the only true God. So these psalms are shocking 
when you understand the significance they had in their context. The structure of the psalm is simple. You could hear it as it's being read aloud. There's three commands that are given to three different people groups. In verse 1, it says, sing all the earth. And then you look at verse 7 and it says, ascribe families of the peoples or Gentile clans. And then in verse 10, it says, say among the nations. So that's the structure of the psalm. And there's one thing that the psalmist is trying to tell us here. It's very simple. He's saying, you don't need a new lot in life. You need a new look. You need to look at God. Stale worship means you need to look again at the God who called you to his worship. The psalmist here gives us three things to look at. He gives us three reasons to sing. You can see this in verses 1 through 6, the works of God. And then in verses 7 through 9, we see the worth of God. And then finally in verses 10 through 13, you see the sovereign reign of God. So the works of God and the worth of God give us hope in the reign of God. Looking at verse 1, the psalmist begins with the call to worship, just as we did this morning. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. It's a command, isn't it? It's amazing. Psalm 96 opens with a command to worship. It's not an invitation. It doesn't say, join me in singing to the Lord. But he says, you must sing to the Lord. And before we look at the three reasons we have to sing, we have to see this fact. Worship doesn't begin with how we feel. It begins with a command from God. That's what a call to worship is. It's a call to obey the command to worship. We have a command to worship because we often don't feel like it. And the obvious problem with that is that you know you can't trust your feelings. It doesn't matter that you don't feel like worshiping. Your feelings are unreliable. You get things wrong all the time by following your feelings. You know this is true. If you're married, you've witnessed your spouse get things wrong with their feelings all the time. In fact, probably most of your conflict is about conflict between feelings and whose feelings are right. We know we can't trust our feelings because our feelings are not the ultimate fact about reality. Anybody who's married knows that. As one Puritan said, your heart is not the compass that Christ sails by. The only infallible rule and guide to life is the word of God. And what does the word of God say? Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. There's no alternative here. You don't get to skip the call to worship because you don't feel like it. Worship is a command that's given to you by God. In fact, God sets aside an entire day for it. It's called the Lord's Day. That's how important this command is. And we might be tempted to think that's heartless. To be commanded like this. How could the Lord command me to sing? Doesn't He know the mess that I'm in? Doesn't he know how I'm suffering? How hopeless I feel? 
it's precisely because you feel that way that there is a call to worship in Psalm 96. You need this command. It's a, it's a, you need it because it calls you to acknowledge reality. That's what a call to worship is. You live your entire week in trivialities, in trifles. You gaze at weak and worthless things all day long. You carry the way to do that in your pocket 24 hours a day. And often we know what we're doing and we will dabble in idolatry. We'll do it intentionally. The call to worship each Lord's Day summons us back to reality. Reality is what it calls us to. We need the echo chamber in our minds to get interrupted. And each Lord's Day is like a wrench in the wheel of your routine. That's why the call to worship is actually a mercy to you. It's not a cruelty. I saw a video recently of a, of a police officer's body cam in New York City. And the officer was standing next to a man who was leaning over the side of a bridge ready to end his life. And the officer, you could see on the body cam, is pleading with this man. He can't reach him. The only thing he can do is call him down. And he's pleading and he's saying, Brother, you are loved. You have value. Your life is worth it. We'll help you. I'll help you. I love you. And it's incredible because you can see on the body cam, the man turns around and he comes down. And the officer grabs him and brings him back down. What happened? Why did the man come down? It's because the officer gave him hope. The officer showed him a vision of what his life was for. That's what the call to worship does each Lord's Day. That's why it's a mercy to us. It obliterates our lies. Lies that are so powerful they can take us captive and cause us to destroy ourselves. And the call to worship is like that officer. It is calling us back to reality. It is a mercy to us. Sometimes you need God to grab your face like he does in verse 1 and to say, look at me and sing. It doesn't matter what you're going through. God is the only message that matters. I know life can be dark. Things might look really bad for you right now. But the truth is that God is the only thing that we actually need to hear. God is the only message that matters, the only reality that actually matters. And in fact, nothing in our lives can change without a different view of God. In fact, most of our problems in life come from bad views of God. Most of the emotional turmoil and distress we cause ourselves comes from unbiblical views of God. And people hear that and they think, no, 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 that, that's not right. You don't understand. If just this one thing in my life changed, I would be happy. I, if I had more money, if I had a better job, when I finally graduate, if my spouse were different, then I would be happy. Then I would worship. I would do it gladly. But that's not what the psalmist says. A new song doesn't come from a new lot in life. It comes from a new look. 
That's what we see here. And you might say, okay, if that's true, how do I even answer the call to worship? There's nothing in me that I have to worship for. I feel I look at my life. I don't know what to worship about. Look at verses 2 through 3. What does it say? Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. The psalmist is saying, sing about God. How? How do I sing about God? Well, start with the works of God. That's what you see here in verses 2 through 3. The works of God are creation, providence, and redemption. So we're told in verse 5 that the Lord made the heavens. That's creation. And we're told in verse 10 that the world shall never be moved. That's providence. And then we're told in verse 2, tell of his salvation. That's salvation. That's redemption. Creation, providence, redemption. These are the works of God. And the works of God are how God reveals God. It's how we know who God is. We flip on the light to see what's in a dark room, don't we? The works of God flip on the light to the interior mystery of who God is. This is why we have a doctrine of the Trinity. Where does that come from? It comes from the gospel. If you lose the doctrine of the Trinity, you lose the gospel. As one theologian says, God makes himself present to us in salvation history in the same way that he exists in the uttermost depths of his own exalted being as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The gospel gives you that truth. Follow the works of God and you will find the plenitude, the majesty, the splendor, the riches of God. You'll find the glory of God. And that glory is the only true joy that you can have. Everything in your life can be ripped from you except that glory. And that is why we sing about it. And what's amazing in verses 1 through 3 is who and what we're supposed to sing to and about. Did you notice that? Who are you supposed to sing to in verse 1? Sing to the Lord. But what are you supposed to sing about in verses 2 through 3? Sing about the Lord. Sing about the works of God. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Did you notice that? God commands you to sing about God back to God. That's the command here. That's what's happening. The psalmist says, tell God about God. Tell God about the excellencies of God. Tell God about the works of God. Tell God about the greatness of God. Sing His works and His being back to Him. God is God's exceeding joy. You know, what does man exist for? We all know this, right? The first question of our catechism, it's to glorify Him, to enjoy Him forever. But what does God exist for? 
to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. This is the purpose of this. Worship lifts us from the muck and from the mire of our lives so that we can see this resplendent joy that exists in the being of God. It helps us see the only sovereign who reigns in joy. And verse 3 says, don't just sing that joy back to God. Go declare it to the nations. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. Go tell the world what you've seen in the works of God, the psalmist says. That God is to be feared above all gods. That splendor and majesty are before God. That strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Look at verses 4 and 5. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. You hear verse 4, or sorry, verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. And you realize that the reason the Lord is to be feared above all gods is that there are no other gods. All the other gods are fake. They're false. There's only one true God. This is a missionary song. And I know some of you might be hearing this and thinking, I don't feel this. I'm glad you feel that way. Uh, when I read the Bible, when I pray, when I come to church, I don't feel anything. In fact, I'm, I'm a bit bored. But our feelings are not the ultimate fact about reality. A new song doesn't come from a new lot in life. It comes from a new look. And this psalmist commands you to worship by inviting you to take a new look. To look again at the glorious reality that is God. Our job is to meditate. It's to look at the glory of God. And the works of God. And then to sing that glory back to God. That's what changes us. That's what moves us. I remember a a theologian writing once that sometimes in his office, he would be reading all day. And sometimes he would just stop and go lay on the ground in adoring silence. That's what the call to worship is. That's what it should do to us. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Splendor and majesty are before Him. How do we respond to that truth? It doesn't matter how we feel. Is that actually true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. It means that God is always worthy of a new song. The psalmist goes on in the next section to describe how God should be regarded. So in verses 1 through 6, we can sing because of the works of God. But in verses 7 through 9, we should sing because of the worth of God. The psalmist writes, ascribe to the Lord, in verse 7, O families of the people, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. God from the immensity of his own being, generates infinite reasons for praise. The psalmist began looking at the works of God, but now he takes us 
to the worth of God. He takes us to the interior truth of who God is. And he says, ascribe to the Lord glory. This is why human language is recursive. This is a recursive meaning that you can build infinitely long sentences, can't you? Why do you think you have that ability? Where do you think that came from? You were made to praise and to praise something infinite. It says in verse 9 that we worship Him in the splendor of holiness. And people often think this is a reference to vestments, to what we wear in worship, that it's a reference to the, the ironic priests. But look at the next line. What does it say? It says, tremble before Him all the earth. And that matters because the splendor of holiness is not the splendor of our garments. It's the splendor of our God. In verse 9, it's a command to wear, it's not a command to wear something. It's a command to look at someone. That's why we tremble before Him all the earth. Our garments don't cause others to tremble before Him. It's, it's worshiping Him in the splendor of His holiness. And there's nothing here about our circumstances. They're almost irrelevant. Jesus told us this, didn't He? We saw this in our New Testament reading. Let the dead bury their own dead. The apostles sang hymns in prison in Acts 16. I read a, a, about a Chinese pastor that was thrown into prison a few years ago and uh, somebody interviewed his wife and said, well, what has he been doing in prison? And she said he's been reciting the shorter catechism. I'll never forget in Haiti, I was invited to come preach at a church in the slums and they, they have nothing. I mean, they're literally the poorest people in the Western Hemisphere. And I arrived and they didn't have a hymnal. There were no instruments there was a bucket, that was the pulpit, and they would hold pieces of wood together and they would use them as their instruments to create rhythm. And then they would sing. And I asked one of my friends, I said, what are these songs? And he said, they're hymns. And I said, they have, everyone has these hymns memorized? And he said, yes. What did they have to sing for? Most of their children lived off of donated rice. They couldn't leave their country. They couldn't immigrate. They had a better chance of getting trafficked than getting a job. And they sang. They sang because God was their song. We worship because we see the worth of God. Because we know that God is the only message that actually matters. We don't need a new lot in life to worship. The only thing we need to hear about is God. And that is what Psalm 96 does to us. In verse 7, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The glory do His name. There's nothing in here about if you feel like it, if your circumstances permit it, if you think this is consistent with your dreams and expectations in life. It's just a command to look at the glorious God of the gospel and to worship Him. And this matters because if God weren't God, the call to worship in verse 1 would be cruel. But God is God. 
And God radiates with infinite splendor, with beauty and with perfection that's matchless. It's unparalleled. And the call to worship lifts us from the trivialities and from the trifles to feed on that beauty, to see that beauty. The psalmist can call us to worship because God himself is the reason that we sing. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In your suffering, in your weakness, your depression, your fatigue, your tiredness, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Look at God. Don't give up. Look at God. There is always a new song to sing. And you might say, well, where is he then? You've been telling me to look at God. You've been saying that I don't need a new lot in life, but that doesn't help me because my lot is still terrible. I don't have any hope. I don't see God anywhere in my life. And the psalmist speaks to you. In verses 10 through 13. This psalm is not Islam. This is not a cold call to submission. This is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who spared nothing to save you. Calling you back to reality. God, the doctrine of providence means that God upholds the world. He directs it. He governs it according to his purpose. And this is why the psalmist is so excited in verse 10. He's gone from the works of God to the worth of God. And now he lifts our eyes to say, you can trust the reign of God. Verse 10, he says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Sovereignty is good news when the sovereign is your father. When there's a good and a gracious God on the other side of that power. And here in this section, I want you to see one thing. Look at verse 11. Notice how the Lord stops talking to people. And he starts talking. Sorry, the Lord knows how the psalmist. And notice how he starts talking to creation. He says, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar. All that fills it. The field exults in everything in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. The order here of each one of these objects is crucial to understanding his point. We're tempted to look at this and to think it's just a bunch of stuff in creation. He's just reaching for random reference. But this is completely intentional, the order here. Look at it. Heavens, the earth, the sea, the land, the vegetation. What does that sound like? That's Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he separated the land from the sea. And then what happened? He caused the vegetation to sprout. That's the order the psalmist is following here in verses 11 and 12. The heavens are glad and the earth rejoices. The sea roars and the land exults. And then all the vegetation sings for joy. 
In theology, there's protology. That's where the world came from. And then there's eschatology. That's where the world is going. And what the psalmist does here is flip them and say the world is going to be like in the end what it was in the beginning. And the proof of that fact is the sovereign reign of God. In verse 10, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Because of God. God does that. The truth is that if we refuse to answer the call to worship, then creation itself will. Look at verse 13. The the, the psalmist says, For He comes, for He comes to judge the earth in righteousness and faithfulness. The psalmist says, God is coming. God is coming. That's where your hope comes from. One day you won't open the news and see bodies. One day you won't put what you love in an ambulance and never see it again. Cancers won't rip your life from you. Depression won't rip your days from you. God is coming. Psalm 96 begins with the worship of the church, but it ends with the crescendo of all creation worshiping Him. God one day is going to restore the world to its factory settings. That's what He's saying. That's the hope that we have in the gospel. It's why sovereignty is good news. You don't know what part your suffering is playing yet, but this is the script. The works of God and the worth of God give you hope in the reign of God. This is ultimately what we see in Psalm 96. So in conclusion, let me ask you this. What troubles you? What keeps you up at night? What's causing you distress? Don't look at it. Look at God. Sing about God. Declare the works of God. Go to war against the routines in your mind by declaring the glory of God. One day sin will be difficult to remember. One day you'll have to look at Jesus' body, look at the scars to even remember that sin was. Right now, sing a new song. Make God your song. The glory of God. The riches of God. The splendor of God. There will never be a moment in your life where God is not worthy of worship. Of a new song. That's why you're commanded to sing a new song. And He's not just worthy. He's good. He's tender hearted. He really does love you. There's no place too low. God won't go for you. That's what the gospel tells you. You might feel like you're in the pit. Look up. God is your joy. God is your trust. The name he gives himself is Father. Why can't you trust him? Sometimes we just need someone to look us in the eyes and say, listen, I know you're struggling. I know it feels hopeless. Stop it. Sing a new song. You don't need a new lot in life. You need a new look. Look to God.
Hope in God. Wait for God. Don't give up. Sing. God is your song. Amen.